Hello everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Weird Flicks But Okay. I'm Eric. And I'm Chelsea. Today, we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about Disney Pixar's Up from 2009 and co-directed by Pete Docter and Bob Peterson, who also wrote this movie. It's starring Edward Asner, Christopher Plummer, uh, Jordan Nagai as Little Russell, and Bob Peterson as Doug the Dog. In this episode, we're discussing Up, obviously, but we also want to talk about Pixar and their wonderful ability to emotionally manipulate us. Yeah, they're real good at that. It's become like a science for them, I think, just emotionally manipulating audiences. They're so good at it. I think Up is probably one of the more emotionally devastating openings in a movie that I have ever watched. Agree. And I think part of that is because I wasn't expecting it. I don't know who was, but I will say I when I went to see Up, it was sort of in that resurgence of like 3D movies. Mm. So I ended up seeing it in 3D. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I was really glad to have those 3D glasses on. So no one could see the tears. So no one could see my tears. Yeah. The first 10 minutes of Up are pretty brutal. Yeah. Just it's a whole movie in itself really of emotional pain and it is trauma but it's also really beautiful like it's really beautifully told and it looks really good it's animated well the score while the first opening scene is happening is perfect and so identifiable i think anytime anyone hears that they think of up but also their like heart twitches a little bit because they think of that part in particular yeah Score, by the way, is by uh, Michael Giacchino. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. That's how I always say it in my head when I read his name. I don't know how correct that is. Yeah. It's very Italian. I really like him, though. He also scored, like, Lost. Oh, yeah. He's great. And a lot of other things, of course. He's done a ton of awesome stuff. And this is just one of his many great successes, I would say. Especially the opening. Which, the opening of this movie, I think, is what people remember most quite honestly it's definitely the most memorable part of it yeah i would say as much as i love this movie i do think that up suffers from a bit of like padding runtime with with nothing there is a there is a point where i agree i do think a lot of the movie is so great there are a lot of parts where they recall all the feelings that you felt in those first 10 or whatever so minutes yeah. And they bring them back up later in the movie. For example, when Carl opens this photo album of him and his late wife, Ellie, and he's looking through the photos of both of them as kids and as they grew up and as adults and getting married. First of all, ouch. And then he gets to the last page and there's a little note from her saying, thanks for the adventure. Now go have a new one lost it oh i was i was bawling i mean it hurts so much in the heart when this movie happens in front of my face that callback to the opening is by far the second most profound moment i would say absolutely but there's other moments that are i would say subtler and and just as horrific to the the heartstrings such as 
Carl having his neighborhood sort of torn up by a big corporation, and in his frustration of losing his his home, which I think he associates with his, his deceased wife and all this stuff, he he hits one of the workers with his walking stick. And then he goes back in his house, and from his window, he observes them, like, talking about what just happened, and you know, you know that they just got their leverage to get him out of that house. And it's just, it's awful to watch. Well, he's still very much in the grieving process. I'm not sure how long it's been since his wife passed at this point, but he's still grieving. No matter how much time has passed, it looks as though not much has because he's still kind of talking to her photos while she's there, like still kind of having this rapport with his wife who is no longer around. You can tell that he's grieving and he's holding onto the house. And also, again, that opening sequence was devastating because it shows obviously like the growth of their love and like their life together. And one of the parts, it shows them trying to have a child and then they find out they cannot have a child. That's sad. And then it goes back to, okay, but life is still fun with just us together. And then eventually it ends with, in their old age, him losing his wife. So if you don't remember, that is sort of the emotional spread of that first 10 minute opening. So he is grieving the loss of his wife and he has nobody. It's just him and his house. So that house is so important to him for many reasons. And yeah, like you said, it's pretty devastating because he is very clearly about to lose it. Yeah. And the way that's portrayed is so heartbreaking. It is. It just, it, it wrecks me. It doesn't wreck me. Grow a heart. No, I'm I just know. Kidding. It doesn't get me like some of the other stuff does. But it is obviously very sad. Yeah. I mean, I want this old man to keep his house. It's what he has left. But in a way, it forces him out of this kind of grieving hole that he's been in. Yeah. And he decides to tie so many balloons. Oh, just so many. To his house and just float away with the house. And oh my god, this part is so beautiful like i love this yeah it's magnificent it's another like very identifying imagery to the movie up you think of the opening sequence and then you also think of these colorful balloons and the house floating away something about it is so magical it has this like magical element to it that i love in movies yeah it's beautiful really and like seeing the reflections of the colorful balloons like as it Drifts past apartments in the city and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that part. It's so good. And this young child was sort of an accidental stowaway uh, on his home as it takes off. This this little boy scout or whatever he is. Right. So Russell had been knocking on his door because he's trying to earn his helping the elderly badge. So he's basically begging to help him with something. And Carl Fredrickson is like a... He's a curmudgeon. That's the word I was looking for. He's a curmudgeon. He's not having it. <laughs> he's he's grumpy. He wants nothing to do with anyone. Uh, so it kind of kicks him out. But by the time his house floats away, 
Russell is still on his porch. So he opens his door and sees Russell out there, basically hanging off for his life. Yeah. And this movie's got nice little comedy elements, which Pixar always does, too. Yes. It's funny because they do the drama and the you know heartfelt moments so well, and they do these little comedy bits so well, too. It's such a great mixture. It's just pleasant and charming and... And wonderful. At the same time that it's ruining my heart. Yeah. Eternally. I always feel like if a movie can make me cry or, you know, like make me feel like I'm going to cry, you know, like yeah, I'm yeah. not always on the, the lump couch. in the throat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like I'm always on the couch just sobbing, but. <laughs> I've never seen you not crying, actually. Just oh, yeah? Always crying. <laughs> yeah. But I think if a movie can make you feel enough that, like, maybe tears are welling up in your eyes, then it's doing something well. Mm -hmm. Because you can portray a sad moment on film, but to like convey the emotion that goes with it and transfer that to the viewer takes like a different amount of artistry, I think. Yes. Understanding of the human condition and then also a way to show that, that conveys that feeling so strongly that we are emotionally manipulated and being sad. Mm-hmm. And I think Pixar, whenever they do this, they like to portray death a lot, which is interesting to say for animated films because you associate animated films with children's films, but Pixar doesn't make their movies for kids. They make them kid appropriate. Like there's not a lot of swearing or like adult themes per se, but death isn't an adult theme. That's something that children have to experience as well. And it's not always like, the end of a life kind of death. Sometimes it's like death of a childhood or something else. It's it's so often just growing up, facing change, overcoming very common adversity. Pixar movies are human stories, just fundamentally human experiences that I think are so special in how they project that relatability and the way that they use heightened imagery and storytelling to convey something that is just so basic to our existence and so fundamental. And it is, it's just something that we, we all have to face it. We all have to deal with it. There's no such thing as like existing in the world and not confronting death at some point. It, it's just a part of being in the world. And it's so amazing that there is uh, a team of people out there that are making movies that for all intents and purposes are children's movies, but they teach children to confront feelings that are so often hidden away so that kids don't have to deal with them. At a certain point, you're going to have to. And, and I feel like these movies are such a beautiful way to broach a lot of those subjects with children. Right. And up conveys this theme of death in a couple different ways. First, with the obvious of the death of his wife, and then also kind of the death of life as Carl knew it. So he has to sort of begin a rebirth, which a lot of Pixar films do that too. It's not just like the death of something and then it's sad and that's it. There's always sort of a happy other side to it. So while Carl is grieving and he's experiencing that pain, he's eventually, it takes a while, but he's eventually overcoming it and finding kind of his new way in life, 
without his wife beside him and like a new way to find fulfillment. Like a cathartic personal revelation and an evolution of, of his himself. Yeah, and he does that in a couple different ways as well. And one of them is fulfilling the love of adventure that he shared with his wife. So he's floating his house to Paradise Falls and he's going to, you know, go to this place that he and his wife had always talked about going. And then you also have the side where Russell's in the picture and they never had children. And I think this fills a little bit of that gap because he becomes kind of a mentor type of figure. This child doesn't have much of a father figure, or at least it's alluded to the fact that he doesn't. Um, so Carl or Mr. Fredrickson becomes that for him. And then Russell becomes kind of the child that he never had in a way. Yeah. So they both are filling voids in each other's lives. Takes a while to get there though. Yeah. And, and the way that they get there is this sort of insane adventure. And we see at the very beginning of the movie that one of the things that brought these two characters together, Carl and his wife, was their love for adventure. They were watching like a this old timey, like pulpy video about an adventurer going off in the world in like an airship, and they both become so excited about adventure. And eventually they get older and they settle down and they, they live together. But I think that Carl basically in an attempt to in an attempt almost to deny the situation that he's in and the trauma he does the the balloon thing it feels like that is an act of just desperately getting away from reality and like digging your head in the sand and trying not to engage with what is happening and over the course of the movie that decision actually turns into a growing process but I think it starts as him just needing to get away, which is, I think we can all relate to that too. It's, it's very human. We don't always, we're not always ready to confront the problems that come our way. Right. It starts out as sort of a smaller decision about a smaller problem being that his house is about to get torn down, but turns into the adventure that leads to the growth. Yeah. So they travel to Paradise Falls which involves sort of an Amazonian forest and incredible larger-than-life geography. And And we meet two other supporting characters, the dog named Doug, who can speak, and also the weird tropical bird, Kevin. Yeah. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Just some weird exotic bird that doesn't exist. The way that Doug can speak is he has a collar on him that translates his dog thoughts into English. So clearly someone has given him that. And as this part of the movie goes on, they find the reason that Doug has the collar. There's actually like an army of of dogs that have speaking collars. And they're all beholden to the character we saw from that little short film at the beginning of the movie. Right. An old time adventurer named Charles Muntz. Someone that Carl's been a fan of for a while. Which, this is interesting because Carl was a fan when he was a young boy. And now he's quite an old man. So Charles Muntz is an even older man. Yeah, he's a significantly older man. But he's quite spry. Clearly, he's got some physicality to him still. And 
this is actually, I think, a, a super important lesson in this movie, too, because when Carl finds this hero of his, this childhood hero, it turns out that he is not the man that he idolized in his mind. And I think that's another lesson that people often have to come to terms with, is your idols don't always live up to the standards you put upon them. Right, everything's not as perfect or as great as it seems. And this Charles Muntz character, once he realizes that Carl and Russell have that weird exotic bird known as Kevin, he wants that bird. So he becomes the villain of the story. And I think that's where this movie starts to drag out is this conflict between Charles Muntz and then Russell and Carl. I just think it goes a little bit too long. This isn't the strongest theme or plot point in the movie to me. Yeah. So I think it begins to drag a little bit. Yeah. And I I think that the movie starts to drag here too. What really feels like it's dragging to me is the conflict between Carl's crew and the the dogs, basically. It just feels like it's super drawn out. It doesn't feel like it's contributing anything. And I don't know. It just feels like it's like it's like they just needed to add a little bit more to happen in the movie. Yeah. Basically. They needed to just like pad the runtime with stuff. They needed another conflict to happen and resolve and then get back to the main heart of the story, which I think is with Carl and Russell and them coming to terms with their situation, current situations in life and their bond with each other. And then Carl coming to terms with kind of his grief over his wife a little bit. And, and realizing that there is life after death. Exactly. That there's profound experience you can still have. You just have to be open and you have to be emotionally available and you have to not shut yourself in the way that he did after his wife passed away by just being a hermit in his home alone and not being a part of the world. He replaced that negative, cynical sort of, this is the end of my life. She, Her death is essentially my emotional death with that was a part of his life and he can move on, and there can be more. And Russell, I think, provides quite a bit of that feeling. Like you said, they are getting something from each other that neither of them really had before. And in another another touching slash emotionally manipulative moment, we see Russell getting his badge, and Carl's there for his ceremony, instead of a father figure, another father figure. To me, that moment is as fulfilling to Carl as it is to Russell for him to be there. And it shows that Carl has progressed enough from where he was emotionally at the beginning of the movie to realize that there's still life to live and he still has things he can give in in the world. And that's what I love about this movie, too, is it has a happy ending, but it's not just a happy ending. It's like a happy, ongoing kind of story for Carl, like his life continues on and it speaks to the beauty of how things never really end uh every end is just a new beginning of sorts and i think that's a beautiful way to perceive the world i think pixar speaks 
with a level of vibrancy and vitality and poetry that my cynical 2020 ass has trouble sometimes remembering. Right. And I know this is a pretty literal interpretation, but um, you mentioned vibrancy. This film is very much about like death and growth and things that sound very, you know, dark when you speak like that. But the movie literally is colors. Yeah. Like this movie in particular is just so colorful and light, even though the subject matter is not. Yeah. It's like a technicolor adrenaline shot. Yeah. Which is awesome. It's, it's like the perfect juxtaposition or balance. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so too. So I have a question for you. Okay. Are you upset that Pixar does this emotional manipulation? Do you feel used as an audience member? No, I enjoy it. You enjoy it? Yep. I like to feel something from a movie. Mm-hmm. I don't need to, and I definitely don't want to all the time. Right. But it makes me feel more invested and connected to the story. And like I got something out of it as well. Yeah. I I generally feel the same way. I mean, we not only is Up sort of the prime example of this situation. But as we were talking about before we started recording, Wally made me cry. Toy Story 3 made me cry. Um, Pixar just has a way about them. Yeah. So Pixar movies that made us cry or feel like we were going to (laughs) cry. Coco. Yeah. You said Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3. Yeah. Wally. Wally. Um, Inside Out. Inside Inside Out. Yeah. Yeah. I think I teared up a couple times during Inside Out. The Imaginary Friend. Oh, yeah. It's a doozy. But yeah, those are just like a few I can think of off the top of my head. So This is their this is their bread and butter at Pixar. That's why I think it can feel almost frustrating to be emotionally manipulated like this by a movie. Not that I don't want to feel things. I feel like there are certain audience members who like to have the takeaway be sort of what they're bringing to it and the movie can be more understated than this and if it's if the story is profound or whatever they'll have those feelings but the notebook is designed to make people sad or whatever i guess i can see both sides of it but in the case of pixar i feel like they just do it so right yeah, you almost feel like trying to pull the emotion out of the audience member is almost like a cheap trick. Right. Like they don't have to try as hard doing some other things just to make you feel something is like kind of enough. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Although I don't think that's what you're saying about Pixar though, because right. well, they do everything else pretty well too. Yeah, I mean, I think some movies it's a crutch. It's like yeah. all they have is the ability to make you sad. And then afterwards, you're like, well, that movie sucked, but I cried, so I'm annoyed <laughs> now. But in the case of, of Up or Wally or whatever, that is not the takeaway that I have. The takeaway I have is that that was a great movie, and I cried at it. I think it's it's definitely their calling card. It's not something that you can like separate from the way that Pixar makes their movies. So if you don't like that about them, I feel like you just don't like Pixar. I don't really know anyone who doesn't like Pixar. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that's uncommon. I'm sure there's a few, like, jaded people who maybe don't love it. Yeah. But for the most part, they're pretty beloved. Yes. And I would say for good reason. Would you like this movie? (laughs) I love this movie, actually. 
I'm a sucker for a good aesthetic. Yeah, and this this movie definitely nails that. I would say and most Pixar movies do. I love the aesthetic of The Incredibles. I love that like '50s superhero or like '40s yes. superhero vibe. That's really cool. I love Wally. I love the like dystopian future thing that is also there's like these glimmers of hope in there. It's very interesting juxtaposition and not Pixar, but uh, directed by Brad Bird, who is a Pixar director. Uh, the Iron Giant, I think, is another incredibly good. I cry every time I watch The Iron Giant. That movie is so underrated. Like, I never hear anyone talk about The Iron Giant. I hear people who. I think it's almost a movie with a cult following because I do see people, like, on the internet or in certain movie forums and stuff, I see them talk about it and what a gem it is. But in, like, everyday life, I don't hear it brought up all that often. Or if someone's listing off, you know, favorites, I don't hear that brought up all that often. But I agree, it's sort of a sneaky good. Yeah, it's so, so good. And I think you're right. It does have the cult following that it sort of deserves. But it never really stuck in the mainstream the way that I feel like it deserved to. It's honestly so unexpectedly good, too. I remember my first time rewatching it. I saw it as a kid and then I rewatched it as like a college age person and <laughs> collegiate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I rewatched it in college and the scene, well, sorry for spoilers, but the scene where he like goes into space, you know, the the sad scene. Yeah. That caught me by surprise so much. I was crying. <laughs> and also I forgot that he like came back. So I was double sad because I thought he was just gone forever. Yeah. So that's like my memory of the Iron Giant. But yeah, really good film. It's so good. And Brad Bird also did The Incredibles. So I think he is definitely someone who's really good at conveying emotion and storytelling. Really raw, basic human emotions. And the sense of good also that is so... I think that's like anathema to people who are jaded and cynical. It's this super potent force of good, I think, that a lot of modern movies don't dare to delve into because it's like we are too cynical as audiences these days for movies like this to work that often. But it's so refreshing when one comes through and despite being so heartfelt and optimistic it's such a great movie that it wins people over who otherwise just have these cold, dead insides that don't feel anything. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> Alright guys, so that is Pixar's Up. We enjoyed talking about movies that make us cry today. Seems like it. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. Once again, you can find us on social media or you can always send us an email at weirdflicks, but okay, podcast at gmail.com.